You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I'm one of the hosts of this show. I cover the team for Forbes and the West Side Community News. And today, a lot to get to. Pacers game day today. They got the Celtics tonight. We'll talk about that near the end of the show, how they can beat a reeling Celtics team while they themselves, the Pacers, are reeling. Uh, The schedule came out for the second half of the season for the Pacers. Like every team, it's very busy and complex and challenging, especially um, because of the NCAA tournament in Indianapolis. We'll break that down. But first, I want to start with a topic that we saw on display against the Warriors on Wednesday, and that is that the Pacers are missing a somewhat low-hanging fruit way to make their offense a tiny bit better that I want to talk about that I was just digging into the numbers on, and that is taking more corner threes. So let's talk about that. Uh, after scoring 107 points against the Golden State Warriors, who don't necessarily have the most robust defense ever, Pacers missed a ton of easy shots. I don't want to say that their offense was necessarily bad in that game, but as a result of that particular game, they fell to 16th in offensive rating on the season which puts them below average officially in terms of offensive efficiency this season, which is interesting for the Pacers, right? A lot of their guys, you know, Brogdon's good on offense, uh, but McDermott, offensive specialist. Justin Holiday's playing good offense. Lamb is an offensive specialist. Sabonis is an offensive specialist. Aaron Holiday is an offensive specialist, right? You think with the guys they have, they have a lot of depth, but more of their guys are offensive specialists than defensive guys. You'd think that they'd be a little better on offense than defense in general, despite having an elite defensive player, any whom they have not been. So something happened in that Warriors game that caught my eye pretty early on in the game. Uh, I think it was Miles Turner who hit the three, uh, but the the Warriors loaded up to stop the Brogdon Sabonis pick and roll. They had Draymond Green standing under the basket. Draymond was guarding Miles Turner. Uh, and Sabonis's man, Kevon Looney, was guarding the pick and roll. And Brogdon's man, which I believe was Steph Curry, was also guarding the pick and roll. So they had three guys trying to prevent Brogdon from shooting or driving. And they had two guys uh, ready to stop Sabonis if he was to catch the ball. And Brogdon just did something so simple. He took one dribble into the lane. He threw a skip pass across to Turner in the left corner. And Turner buried the corner three. And in my head, I thought, wow, you know, that looked really easy. That corner three was wide open. How are the Pacers doing on those? Because part of the reason the Pacers have struggled of late, uh, we talked about the struggles of the Sabonis, Brogdon, pick and roll Tuesday's show, uh, is because teams are learning how to defend that action a lot more, and the Pacers hammer it, right? And that makes sense. Those two guys are both creative and smart on offense. It's it, Again, they were above average on offense until literally last night, so two nights ago for you guys. So it makes sense why they go to it so much and they're adjusting. They added some new plays over this week they had off, right? Their, their offense will be fine, but they, that, that common action that you're going to run a lot, like if your set dies, you'll go to it, has been struggling. So that skip pass is huge because teams are doing two things. They're going under on Brogdon now and forcing him to either shoot or, or give it up. And two, they're loading up on Sabonis like that. So that skip pass to the corner three is going to be there a lot. And the Pacers don't have, like, the best shooting team this year. You know, Turner's really, I, I wouldn't say struggling. He's just slightly below his his career average. You know, he's a slightly below average shooter. But he is at 32%. Aaron Holiday's at 34%. McDermott is at 35%. McConnell's not really a shooter. Sabonis is involved in these actions. 
Brogdon's involved in these actions. They really just have Lamb and Justin Holiday as like their positive asset shooters. But I think they can get a lot out of their team if they go for more corner threes. So they only took five against the Warriors that whole game. And that that three-turner took that I'm talking about was wide open. Wide open. He drilled it. If it wasn't Turner, I'll feel stupid. I tweeted the video. I'll share it again with this podcast on Twitter. at to East NBA tomorrow. So you can go see the play I'm referring to. But it was wide open. So the Pacers corner threes this season. They take they are 23rd in right corner threes attempted per game. Uh, they take uh, 3.3 three-pointers from the right corner every game. From the left corner, they are also 23rd, but they take 3.9 from there, right? Most teams take more from the left corner because it's easier for right-handed shooters, more guys are right-handed, whatever. They're 23rd from both sides. So some teams really specialize one side or the other, whatever. So in total corner threes, uh, per game. They take 7.2. That is fifth to last. That is 26th in the league. The teams below them, the Orlando Magic, who have no shooters, the Celtics, who have minimal shooters, the Spurs, who have no shooters, and the Cavs, who have no shooters. The Pacers have at least one shooter, maybe two, maybe three, even if Lamb shooting is legit. That number should be higher than 7.2 corner three-point attempts per game. The Jazz are running over everyone this season. They're taking 11.5. That's first in the league. The Suns, uh, of, of the top teams... Here on the three point corner three point attempts per game, outside of Houston, who we all know how Houston's, you know, has their DNA of corner threes. You got the Warriors, Suns, Jazz, Rockets, Grizzlies, and Clippers as your top six, right? That is that are some good teams taking lots of corner threes, and those shots are easy, right? You, you're you're getting the worst team in the league is hitting 34 percent of those, which is a very efficient offensive possession. Uh, all but one, two, three, four teams are shooting above 36% on those, which is like league average from three. The Pacers themselves are shooting well on corner threes, 39%. They're a great shot. It's very open as teams load up on this Brogdon Savonis pick and roll more often. The Pacers need to take more corner threes. They've got the guys to do it. We've seen in the past how good their their shooters can be. Justin Holiday's making everything. Doug McDermott can make everything. It's kind of strange that he isn't really. Jeremy Lamb is now apparently a threat. Turner hit the one I'm talking about. I know it's just one, but they've got to hammer it more. For Justin Holiday, for example, is hitting 43.7% on corner threes. In fact, Basketball Reference tracks corner three-point percentage, so I could easily have just sorted there. Yeah, so Sabonis is at 83% from the corners. That doesn't matter. Lamb's at 60%. McConnell's at 50%. Aaron Holiday's at 47 Justin's at 43. Brogdon's at 37. That one doesn't matter because he'll be involved. McDermott's at 37, right? Turner's at 30. So he's even, he hit the one I'm talking about, and he himself is struggling from there. But we all know he can be better than that. Everyone is hitting well from the corners. There's a reason the Pacers from the corner percentage is pretty good. They just need to go for that more. They need to have, encourage Brogdon to go for that skip pass and maybe even load up the strong side a little more on pick and roll so that defenses are leaving the guy in the corner is much more daring because you won't have a, a help and recover option, right? So I think that is a low-hanging fruit way for the Pacers to get a little bit more efficient on offense, force defenses to make a decision, and and really improve things right off the jump. It, it seems so simple, and I know those are kind of dorky stats, but you know it, it's the it's the best, it's the second most efficient shot in basketball behind basically a dunk and a layup. So I guess that's third, but a shot right at the basket and then corner threes basically are the are the shots and. Taking the 26th most of them is not a recipe for success. Like, it's it's pretty obvious to me when you look at the bottom five in this. The Spurs are actually okay, but the Magic kind of stink. The Cavs have lost, like, 
10 of 12 or something. The Celtics have lost like 7 of 10. Um, and then it's the Spurs and Pacers is your bottom five for corner threes, right? Like that, that's not going to cut it. Right above the Pacers is the Hawks out of the playoff picture, the Wizards out of the playoff picture, the Pelicans sniff in the back of the playoff picture, the Hornets sniff in the back of the playoff picture, and the Kings sniff, right? So it, there's, a, there's a trend here. The, the teams near the top of the standings take more corner threes the teams that don't some of that is because they have high gravity creators but still the Pacers need to hunt out those corner threes more I think it'll help their offense a lot and 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 give them a recipe for success in an area they haven't been great in because their defense has been okay this year it could be a little better um but I, I think they have been better on D than O and I think they can improve their offense very simply by just uh hunting out more of these corner threes that was dorky and boring everything else on the show will not be that dorky and boring and I want to break down the schedule because that's interesting um, you know, this you, you play the teams in front of you. Bjorkren is never concerned about the schedule, the head coach. But I think that the structure of the schedule matters for every team. And the Pacers have a very interesting second-half schedule. So let's take a little break and then talk about that. But first, let's talk about BetOnline.ag, the official betting partner of the Lockdown Podcast Network and the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. BetOnline.ag. Football's over, but NBA, NHL, college basketball in full swing, going crazy. The NCAA tournament is right around the corner. And BetOnline.ag even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. They have real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. They've got you covered for news scores and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head on over to that website, BetOnline.ag, or their app. Sign up today. You'll get a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit, if you use the promo code Locked On, all one word when you do so, that's Locked On at BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. The schedule is out, and we will do the show where we we preview wins and losses for every game or predict. Just it's just fun to run through it and see how the back to backs or the three and four nights really come into play when you run through the schedule all in order. But the Pacers second half schedule is out, uh, and it's tough. Um, that, that that's not fair to say. Every team has to play the same teams. It's just the ordering can be more demanding and things like that. And the Pacers have two unique things going against them. And every team has one of these things going against them. But the Pacers are the only one that's dealing with the other. So they had three postponed games in Phoenix because of COVID contact tracing. Uh, at home against the Spurs, same reason, uh, contact tracing. And in Houston because of inclement weather after the snow a couple weeks ago. All three of those games rescheduled are now the second night of a back-to-back. So the Phoenix game is their second game of the second half of the season. They'll play in L.A. on a Friday night and then in Phoenix on a Saturday. The Spurs game, they will play in Atlanta on April 18th, fly home to Indy, and then play the Spurs on the 19th. Um, And in Houston, they come home, play the Clippers, and then fly back to Houston to play Houston on the road. It's it's just tough. It's really brutal. Um, So that's hard. But really, the first thing that stands out, if you look at the second half of the Pacers' schedule, is... Their march after the All-Star break is insane, right? So like I just said earlier, they start off Lakers Suns, who are t- both top four in the West right now. Anthony Davis might not be back by then. Who knows? That could make the Lakers not impossible. Suns are really good. Okay, then third and four nights, two days later, they have Denver in Denver, and Denver has actual home court advantage. That's a hard game. Then they have the Nets at home, who are killing it and have three superstars. Then they go to Miami, two games in Miami uh, over the weekend. Then a back-to-back after playing in Miami against Milwaukee. Then they come home for the Pistons, a game they basically have to win. Then they go to Dallas, then to Washington, and then home for Miami. So, tough games everywhere. Tough, tough games everywhere. I mean, if you if you want to give them Detroit and Washington, that's two wins. And then if they lose all the rest, they would go, well, I can't count fast enough. They'd go two and eight 
uh, in that it's two and nine. Wow, even worse. Two and nine in the eleven games. Uh, whew. I mean, it's it's just really rough to to survive that. And they have you know if they if they have five more games in the first half of the of the schedule, if they win three of those, they'll be one game over five hundred at the break. If they go two and nine, all of a sudden they're six games under five hundred. The trade deadline will skate by, and they'll you know <laughs> that that's where they'll be. So that's interesting timing. You know, maybe they can steal the home game against Brooklyn or one of the two LA Phoenix games and stuff like that. But that's a really hard run. And the really challenging thing about this March is because the NCAA tournament's in Indy and the NCAA tournament plays basically Thursday, Friday, Saturday on some Sunday games, I guess, they can't play in Banker's Life for that stretch because it's hosting college basketball. So they're on the road every weekend. They come home, play on Wednesday, and then travel back on the road for the weekend game. So their March is absolutely brutal. I mean, I find it very hard to believe they'll be they'll be over 500 by the end of March. Uh, and who knows if that influences their trade deadline? I have no idea. I think the trade deadline is March 25th. I doubt it uh, changes any of their plans. Jay Michael reported that Karis LeVert could come back soon after the All-Star break. Maybe not immediately, but soon after. That could help with all this stretch. Who knows? Um, maybe his first game back will be at home against the Nets. How fun would that be? But that's a brutal March. Thankfully... You know, if they if say they can get out of March like two games under 500, I don't even know if that's technically possible with the number of games they have. Their April is much easier, right? They start off with Charlotte, San Antonio, Chicago, Minnesota, Orlando, Memphis. That is six winnable games, and then Clippers is tough, and then they have Houston, who they can win. Utah's tough, and then Atlanta, Spurs, Thunder, Detroit, Orlando, Portland. They could win all those, right? So April's a lot easier. Their last month, May, they open with some easy cupcakes. Their first five are Thunder, Wizards, Kings, Hawks, Wizards. They could win all five of those. And then they and then they have Cleveland. So they could win the first six games of May, but they close with Philly, Milwaukee, Lakers, Toronto. But the end of the season stuff, you know, some teams could be tanking. Some teams could be resting. They have their seed. Who knows? It's impossible to look at the end of the schedule and know what those are going to mean. But my, it's very interesting that the impact the NCAA tournament has on them. That was the thing I mentioned earlier that only impacts them. They have a road-heavy March, and because it's road-heavy, a lot of West teams, the West is tough. It's it's a tough March, uh, and given that they're 500, who knows how they'll come out of that, but that's brutal. Thankfully, their April is much more forgiving. So if they can keep up in March, if they can escape March just a game or two under 500, or even at 500 if they figure some stuff out, or Karras is a really big help, then yeah, they're gonna they're gonna be looking real good at the start of April. But if not, I mean, th- th- their March could be really brutal. Their schedule is so topsy turvy. It's not very balanced. It's not, you, you know, they they go through runs of really tough and then really easy and then really tough and then really easy. It's not it's not like they're alternating easy team tough team easy team tough team to get back on track. And a lot of teams are trying this year, which makes there's a lot more parity. This season's just weird. But their schedule is very interesting in the second half, and it actually could have impacts on the team's decision-making and the narrative around the team in a way that other team schedules won't have that are more balanced and, and scattered out throughout with the tough games. And they don't have to deal with all the NCAA tournament travel. So very interesting second half of the schedule. We'll run through it game by game, probably during the All-Star break, just because they have rapid-fire games until then. Um, but I wanted to do a general overview kind of thing, break it down and see why they're just so unique and impactful on the rest of their season. But they can only play the teams in front of them, right? Everybody plays the same teams. It's not like so different or demanding or anything like that but let's talk about the celtics pacers opponent tonight who are equally struggling as the pacers which is hard to think about so let's take a little break and then do that so the pacers have won four of their last 10 games that's really rough and that is better than the celtics who have won three of their last 10 games 
These two teams both thought they will eat, you know, walk into the playoffs uh, as of as easily as, as early as easily, excuse me, as early as the beginning of February. These teams were rolling into the playoffs and ready to go and all that. Instead, uh, you know, the, the Pacers are at 500. The Celtics are under 500. The Celtics are like the eight seed or the seven seed right now. It's crazy how much they're struggling. So this game is weirdly important for two reeling teams. The Celtics did a big media blitz in Boston. I saw, uh, you know, Brad Stevens on the radio. They had their governor on the radio, Danny Ainge on the radio. They kind of need to. Fans are really falling out of love with the Celtics, the way they're playing recently. So who knows what, what kind of energy they come out with this game? Who knows what kind of energy the Pacers come out with? But two things are happening for the Celtics. They're really top-heavy right now, right? Brown and Tatum, amazing all-stars, totally deserving. They're combining to average 50 points a game, both shooting ridiculously well. The Celtics are plus four-point-something per 100 possessions with both of them on the floor. Every other situation, when one of them is out of the game or both, they're just bad. They're, they get outscored by the other team because, one, Marcus Smart's been out since uh, the last day of January with a calf injury, and two, Kemba Walker, the guy they gave a max contract to the beginning of last year, has been terrible. Kemba battling injuries and coming back from injuries. He's shooting 37.5% from the field. He takes 16 shots a game. Below league average on eight attempts per game from three. Terrible defender. His playmaking hasn't been there as much. Only 4.1 assists per game. He's a pretty negative player right now for the Celtics team. Uh, and the other problem they have is when he doesn't play, they play Jeff Teague at point guard. He's been pretty bad. Peyton Pritchard plays a little bit. He's been okay for a rookie, but they just haven't been getting that lead ball handler play they need and a good organizer. So they have been really struggling recently. They got whomped by the Hawks the night. The Hawks hit like 23 or 24 threes or something. So the, the problem with the Celtics is they're very shallow in a way that they weren't when Kemba was looking a little better earlier in the year and Smart was playing and Things like that, they, they looked a little deeper and more more useful. Uh, that That's not so much the case anymore, right? That, that Hawks game they just played, their starting lineup still looks okay if you just glance at it. You know, you go, oh, okay, Tatum, Brown, Teague, Thompson, and Tice. And Kemba will play against the Pacers. He didn't play against the Hawks because it was a back-to-back. But their second unit, Grant Williams, who is like a good utility player. I liked him in the draft a lot. Uh, he can't really self-create. Peyton Pritchard, who's a rookie. Uh, Robert Williams, who's pretty good, but is limited. Aaron Neesmith, who's struggling as a rookie. Javante Green, do any of you even know who that is? He's a small little point guard who can play a little bit. Carson Edwards, Purdue guy. I mean, they just don't have any depth at all. Uh, it's, it's really brutal what they have coming off the bench. So a key for the Pacers in this one, I want to, you know, my reflex is, okay, if their bench can dominate, they can win. But really, the other minutes are what's important. They need to dominate the minutes or not dominate necessarily. They need to keep up in the minutes against Brown and Tatum because I think those bench minutes are going to be pretty easy. You know, McConnell's going to have an easy time. They don't have any slowdown. McConnell-level guys, they can have a shooter with the bench at all times. One of Tyson Thompson will be out there, sure, but maybe one of the centers can have a good game. There are ways for the Pacers to score. Semi Ojale is good, too. He missed that Hawks game. Anyway, uh, the, the Celtics just... If they can't keep up with Tatum and Brown on the court, they have no chance in this game. You know, they when the when the Celtics lost the Mavs on a Luka Doncic buzzer beater a few nights ago, the Celtics were plus three with Jalen Brown in the game, minus six with Tatum out there, and then everyone else was just kind of useless. Semi Ojale was minus eighteen, right? Peyton Pritchard was minus eleven. They got smoked in those bench minutes. That's the kind of stuff you can expect. The Pacers need to keep up with Brown and Tatum in the game. How do you do that? Well, they're both so good at scoring, so that's hard. 
starting McDermott and Justin Holiday means you're probably going to put Brogdon and Justin Holiday on those two guys in some capacity. And the bigs on bigs matchup is kind of a wash. So McDermott might end up with a tough matchup. I mean, Kemba's kind of struggling this year, but uh, McDermott's going to end up with a tough matchup. So they're going to have to overhelp a little bit on him, just they, they, whoever he's guarding. And that that's going to be key is, is whoever McDermott ends up on. I would guess it'll be Jalen Brown. You know, don't let him kill you. He's kind of been struggling. That's a little unfair to him. But you know, he had a really hot start. He's kind of fallen off back to – more what you expect from Jalen Brown, which is still a special player, but not the level he was at early season. But if they can, if, if McDermott can slow down Jalen Brown just a little, that would go a long way. Or you know, just, just keep both of those guys at bay, keep them right at their scoring average. I think that the Pacers can win this game, and they have to win the interior battle. Their centers are both better than the Celtics centers. Thompson and Tice have not had good seasons. Sabonis and Turner need to do well against them. Sabonis has done well against the Celtics this year. They can win that battle. So, Dominate the inside. Don't give up as many paint points as they did against the Warriors. You know they really sold out to stop Steph, and so the War the Warriors did a good job of getting the ball into open space and then cutting to the basket. I'm imagining the Celtics will have a similar game plan. So keep an eye on your cutters, uh, stuff like that. It, just simple stuff. Simple stuff, really. The Warriors got to the paint at will. Don't let that happen as easily. But I think the Pacers can win this game. The thing is, they just the analogy I gave. I think it was my brother-in-law. Is like with the Pacers this year, it feels like they have four pegs to plug six holes right they they there's and they're on a sinking boat so they they plug as many holes as they can before every game whether that's you know they focus on rebounding or they focus on running certain sets or they focus on their aggressive defense or whatever but instead when they focus on that thing they pull the plug out of a different hole and they and they let in you know points in the paint or they let in driving kicks or you know, they, they give up, oh, they forget how to cut, or, you know, just something goes away when they fix something else. We've talked about that on the show before. It's going to make this game tough. The Celtics are probably a little better despite the records. So I think the Celtics will win. Um, you know, I just, they have the two best players in the game. But I think the Pacers can win uh, if they can really put together a complete performance. Like, if they played like they did against the Warriors, they just make the threes that they created for themselves. They had a lot of open ones. They'll win this game. I mean, that that sounds so lame, like make your shots and you win, duh. But if they manufacture the same level of shots, they should win. So I think they can win, but I think I'd favor the Celtics a little bit. We'll see. Uh, They got the Knicks Saturday night, so winning big and resting, guys, for a back-to-back is important. I want to see Sabonis try to uh, kick Julius Randle's ass after some all-star snubbery went on there. So we'll see what happens there. Should be a fun weekend. We'll cover it all next week, of course, on Locked on Pacers. We'll break down this weekend, so stick around. Come visit us. Hang out on Monday. We'll break down the weekend of action and everything that went on. Thank you guys so much for listening today. Tonight's game should be fun. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Pacers and me at T East NBA. Thank you guys for listening. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you Monday.